Welcome to the Trigonometry Show, the show for practical shooters. Pistol, shotgun or rifle, bolt or semi-auto. If it has a trigger, we probably enjoy shooting and talking about them. I'm your host Kerry, and this show features regular guests talking about competitions and courses, reloading and unloading, tips, tricks and reviews, all focused around practical shooting in New Zealand. Many thanks to all our supporters and sponsors that help this show exist, but an extra special thanks to the Gear Locker, where you can find long range shooting and reloading accessories that you won't find anywhere else in New Zealand. Check them out at gearlocker.nz and make sure you tell them that we sent you. Don't tell anybody this stuff. <laughs> I've been shooting for seven years, I guess now, almost seven years, um, since before the PRS was the PRS. I've been the top lady every year, um, even the two years that I didn't qualify for the finale, I was still the top female in the sport. I'm currently 15th overall. Depending on how the gap grind goes this weekend, I may stay in 15th place. I might go down a little bit, I'm not sure. I'm hoping to stay in the top 20 though, um, going into the finale. So it's my, my best ranking so far. There's almost 700 shooters in open and tactical division, so, or in open division, so which is what I'm in. Um, sports sort of picked up speed the last five years or so since we got organized. Before that, they had matches around the country, maybe five or six. It was usually the same 30 or 40 people, and that constituted a big match, having 40 people there. Um, there were a couple in Texas. We had ours in Arizona since 2009. Um, NorCal's had theirs since 2008, I think. So we've had a, a few matches scattered around the country. This year, I think there were about 30 matches, including one in Canada and one in South Africa. So um, the sport, every year, there seem to be five or six more matches, new clubs popping up all over the place, a lot more interest in it. Um, I get a lot more mess messages from people on my athlete page on Facebook asking me questions about how to get started, what kind of gear they need, what caliber I think they should choose. <laughs> I, can't, I can't make that decision for you, bro. I would say a majority of the points are between 200 and 800 yards. Um, I mean, the PRS skill stages are all predominantly 400 yards or so. So I think there's one that goes out to 600. Um, I don't know, two, whatever. There, it's mostly that's where the points are, two to 800. Some of the matches go out to a mile. Um, the club I shoot with in Arizona, we put on a match every year, Tactical Precision Rifle Challenge, that's coming up in December. Our furthest target is 1,375 yards. So, no people shooting out that far, but nothing further than that at our match anyway. Normally, like our match will probably give the squad a couple of minutes to 
check out the props or whatever. Um, make sure everybody knows where the targets are, uh, get their dough written down and their game plan. And then when they're up, buzzer goes and they got to build their position and do everything from there under those time constraints. So, and then it becomes, do you try to beat the clock, which we've seen people do, or do you try to get your hits? So if you're a newer shooter, those guys, for some reason, and I'm just as guilty, I did it too when I first started, you see somebody more experienced come through and they're just blazing away, hitting everything, and they finish well before the time's up. They have 30 seconds to spare. Um, they're stopping, signing autographs, whatever. And so <laughs> then it's your turn to go up and you barely get through three targets. You're like, man, how do they how do they do that? Um, practice, lots and lots of practice. So so then your next match is like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna beat that clock. Can you beat the clock and you don't get any hits? Well, yeah, you know, slow down, get your hits. Worry about the time later. There, There's a couple at the Sniper Side Cup. They had a, a few basically UKD stages. So you have to set up your gear, um, range everything, do everything on the clock. And I ran out of time on every one of those ones. So even even the ones that I like seriously gamed, like I looked at them and went, OK, well, I know what that one, I can find that one. And that one looks to be about midway. And then that and I could hear like the Mario Brothers music playing in the background. It was so bad. <laughs> Like man, somebody's gonna—they just need video and a soundtrack. It'd be awesome. So, but I think everybody has has those stages where they where it takes them a little bit too long messing with their stuff. So, and the more gear, I swear, um, after watching shooters running people through matches and stuff, the more gear somebody has, that the higher the likelihood is that they will still be messing with their gear rather than shooting. I think it. I think it depends on the the match director. Um, the Oklahoma guys, they can read read wind like like Rain Man. Um, I don't know how they do it. They shoot these itty bitty teeny tiny targets at great distances, but they're much more comfortable shooting prone. Um, clubs like mine started off on a range that had a max distance of 700 yards. So everything we did to make it more challenging had to be up off your belly. So we'd shoot a little bit prone, but a majority of the stuff that we did was off of props or positional or whatever. So it kind of depends on the mindset of the club that's running it or the organization running it. Um, in some cases, like uh, KM and Core, the target sizes are plenty big. So if you miss, it's really a bad trigger pull. The positions aren't that ridiculous. Um, they, they have a lot of things that are based off of, well, this is true for pretty much all of the matches, that are based off of hunting scenarios or something from military or law enforcement. So somebody read something somewhere. We started doing um, boat drills because of the Somali boat pirate thing. So we put an actual boat out there. Next year we meet it motorized. And then after that, we got a floating platform and then everybody got floating platforms. So to simulate being on water. So a lot of that stuff comes from that. Um, a few of the clubs have a real good foundation, like their core members came from three gun or something. So they incorporate a lot of those types of stages with fast paced, quick target acquisition um, in crazy positions that you have to give something up or you give up which fundamental are you gonna slack off on in order to make a hit within the time constraints? So I, d I think that's where a lot of it comes from. I know that we do have quite a few hunters. I think 
if the guys aren't posting on Facebook about a match that they're going to, they're posting about a hunt that they're going on. So, um, so I think it helps in that respect because it helps them get quick shots at long distances. So, and we do have quite a bit, I would say that it's probably 50-50 between uh, square range matches and field matches. So um, I'm, because of where I come from, I'm a little bit more comfortable on the square range stuff. But I noticed this year kind of breaking out of my little comfort zone and shooting a few more field matches, there's not really any difference. A barricade's a barricade's a barricade. Whether it's a rock or an actual wooden structure or a chair, it's a barricade's a barricade. So they're all fun anyway. Um, true lefties, I'm not sure. 30% of people are cross-eyed dominant. So a majority of those guys with rifle shooting shoot left-handed because um, they're left-eye dominant and that's really the only reason that they shoot left-handed guns. They fool me too because I'm a true 100% lefty. Everything, I trigger fingered, everything is left-handed um, or backwards as my husband says. Um, so then I meet these fakers who are they're just left-eye dominant <laughs> they go to write something right-handed I'm like, oh, no, 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 you foot, no, take that back. Write with your left hand. <laughs> So more more lefties than I would imagine. So than I actually would see out in public are on ranges shooting. Some of the first left-handed guns I got to play with belong to right-handed people who shoot left-handed. So that was yeah, it was enough to convince me that all the people on the internet that told me I need to shoot a right-handed gun because it'd be so much faster being left-handed. Yet they're right-handed and shoot right-handed guns. Weird. So so I didn't put much stock in that after that so especially shoot a right-handed gun left-handed on a positional stage and that whole idea just goes right out of your head nope nope I want to be able to see where my impact is and not have to rebuild a position after each standing shot so um, so I'll stick with my lefties my brass ejects left and I know where my brass is and that stuff's like a dollar a piece so um nobody's piles go over there <laughs> all the righty stuff is like one big mound like I don't have to look through their stuff for mine I know where mine went <laughs> no they totally don't <laughs> everything's um it's normally righty friendly so the nice part about helping put on a match is that I get to design stages so the areas that I do I tend to make a little bit more lefty friendly <laughs> or, or actually look at them that way going, no, nah, this is too easy for righty. Let's change it up and give the lefties an advantage. Uh, the Idaho match, they had a couple of stages that appeared to be extremely right-handed friendly. Like all the targets were just set up in a line that were perfect for them. And one of those, the lefties did way better than the right-handed shooters. I have no idea why, but because the, the everything about that stage looked like it would be great for a right-handed shooter, but all the lefties did good on it. So maybe we slowed down and focus more, I don't know. But so I've seen that for sure. Um, they, the match directors do tend to make things more for them. So, and if they're, um, if they're right-handed, then it's gonna be easier for them to do then for a lefty. Actually have a, a guy out of Northern California, Joe Ducos. He builds out the palm swell on my stocks. I've, I've tried chassis. I have a couple PDC custom chassis also. And the, the pistol grip, I can't quite get comfortable with it. I'm, my hand is too far back. So when I'm back, then I can't get a 90 degree. 
and with the palm swell built up, I don't think about it anymore. So before I did that, I would press really hard on my fingers to try to build it up and my shots weren't consistent. So we built it up about an inch and now my shots all go right where they're supposed to. Started shooting with the 223 that had a like one in 12 twist, could only shoot 55 green bullets. Nobody could see my impacts and it pissed me off. So I switched to a 243. I burnt that barrel out relatively quickly, like a little over 1300 rounds. And a guy that used to work with my husband said, have you ever heard of 6XE? Now he's a Palma and F-class shooter. So he knew David Tubb and knew about the cartridge. So they started talking about shoulder angle. And I said, well, I'm, I can shoot more, like a thousand rounds more through a barrel. That'll save us money. I'll switch to that. So switched over to that with the 115 DTAX. Um, and then I didn't think anybody was seeing my impacts anymore. Turns out I was probably missing. Um, so I switched to 6.5 Creedmoor for a year and never could quite get as comfortable with it as I was with the 6XC. So I went back, um, shot Burger 105s for a while and sat down and tried to figure out after the 2014 season, I think, sat down and tried to figure out what it was that had changed from 2012 when I was 20th in the nation to 2014 when I was somewhere mid-pack. And one of those things was that I was shooting the DTACs before. So I switched back to them and um, my score started going back up. So I find them to be very easy to load for. Um, I just start with the same load data every single time and it shoots a nice little bug hole So in load development. So, um, so I don't like back. I like it. I'm, I'm just, it, I think it's just because it's intuitive now. So I, I know what my come ups are at distance. I know where I need to hold for wind. I don't have to rely as much on a data program. I can kind of glance at it and go, oh, okay, that sounds right. Rather than, going, oh no, what was my wind call on that for every single shot? So. I think I think it's kind of gone back and forth a couple of times. Um, depending on, it's it's like a like a Kool-Aid conversation, really. I mean, it, who somebody does really well with one caliber, everybody wants to go shoot it. So, um, then they see somebody else does really well, so they all switch over to that caliber. So it's gone from 6XC was big, and then it went to 6.5 Creedmoor, 6.5x47, 6x47, 6 Creedmoor, 6 Dasher. There, I mean, it just depends on who's winning a match and with what caliber. Then everybody runs off and goes and buys all the dies and stuff. So uh, without really thinking it, the guy that won with a... 6 Dasher or a 6x47 or a 6.5x47 probably put in a lot of time with a 223 or with a 308 or something um, put a, a lot of time dry firing in so it's not necessarily the, the caliber's not the the magic behind the match win or behind doing well in the standings or anything it's the practice and the dry fire time I think people get intimidated looking at the cost of the top guys in the PRS, looking at our, our rifles. Um, mine are is somewhere in the range of $6,000 to $800 US, so they're, they're pricey. Um, the production class, which is the one that, like, I love that division, I love the whole idea behind it, to, to take a stock factory rifle with a stock caliber, basically 6.5, 243, 308er, uh, maybe a 223 um, out of the box scope and go shoot so that's most of our trainers are, are like that anyway the top guys are shooting 
factory guns as their trainer guns anyway. So I, I love that division, but then the tactical division is another one that's new this year. And that one was really more catering towards law enforcement and military. So they wanted those guys to be able to use their duty gear. So 308 and 223 only. Um, and that one's got, I think they've got about 50 people that have stats in that division so far this year. It's an instant gratification society. So there's time and time and effort have to be set aside to dry fire into practice. And I'm 100% guilty of not doing it all the time. I've got a nice little list of what I need to do every day. And yeah, I don't do it every day because um, life happens. You get busy, but looking for for some magic thing that's going to make people shoot better. There just isn't really any substitute for it. You might get lucky. And luck sometimes is better than skill, but I wouldn't depend on luck all the time. Um, I use my actual competition rifle for dry fire practice, so I get used to the weight and the feel. I know where I need to put my face on the cheek piece. Um, I know what the trigger pull is like. Every, everything stays the same and consistent. I take my 223 out if I'm working on positional stuff because I still kind of suck at a couple of the standing and kneeling are my nemesis. So. Those ones I practice a lot, uh, a dry fire bunch and then live fire a little bit and see if I can hit an ever shrinking target size um, at about 325 yards. And right before a match, well, I don't have a 308 right now, I'm waiting on a barrel, but I would switch to a 308 and shoot a 308 for about a month beforehand. So I'm used to the recoil from the 308. I go to, back to my 6XC and there's no recoil then. It feels like shooting my 223. So it's real easy to stay on target then. If work gets in the way, then it's dry fire in the backyard on a quarter inch dot. I live in a subdivision, so the houses are real close together. Try not to freak out the neighbors, um, but work off of a patio chair shooting across the yard at a dot on the wall. My husband worked at Dillon Precision for 13 years or so, so he already had all of the reloading equipment and he was reloading. So when I said, this is what I want to do, I want to shoot this stuff. He said, yeah, I don't have time to reload your ammo and we can't afford to buy you factory stuff. So here's how you do it and off you go. So um, so he taught me. He still has to remind me sometimes on how to do some stuff. <laughs> Every time I have to change something on one of my dies. Um, I don't know if it's being left-handed or being slightly spacey sometimes. I tend to turn things the wrong way. It's a self-correcting behavior. <laughs> but turn it the wrong way, I'm like, crap. Tim, I broke something again. <laughs> I, I started, I used to, well, okay, well, I have a reputation for reloading last minute, like the night before a match. Apparently, a lot of people know about that, so I teased about it quite a bit. <laughs> so because of all these issues I've been having with, with my uh, reloading equipment this year and my breaking it, I've started reloading a little bit earlier, so um, this weekend, that's what I'm doing, is reloading for the Lone Survivor match next weekend. Just in case I break something, I have time to fix it, so. <laughs> but I used to really like it. I used to think it was like almost meditation, brass prep. So much fun running everything through. It was all new. It's, it's kind of lost some of that sheen now. <laughs> I'm looking at 400 pieces of brass. Oh, man. It's a progressive that we run as a single stage. So, uh, a 550, just run it through one stage at a time. So, um, I don't do everything all at once. So I don't prime everything and then load everything. I do it kind of 
together. So I'll size and deprime and then throw it back in the tumbler and clean out the primer pockets. Sometimes trim it. We've got a Gerard trimmer, so I'll do that about every third firing. And then seat the primer, get the charge on the RCBS Charge Master, dump it in there, seat the bullet, and off I go. So I run it like that. Um, so just one at a time, but not as a progressive, a traditional progressive, I guess. I used to use a progressive for 223, but it wasn't the stick powder. And the stick powder is why we used the RCBS instead of um, running a powder dump on a progressive. So um, some of the guys, we've got a couple guys in our club here that will get their initial charge on a charge master or use a dump and then trickle. They've got like these crazy scales that remind me of drug dealers um, that they trickle those that last little bit on there. So they're down to a super small per error percentage, I guess, on on their reloading. I have not tried that. I can't talk Tim into spending the money on one of those scales. So he said, no, nope, we shoot good enough without it. We don't need it. I know a lot of the top guys in the sport and so I've talked to a lot of them and they just go into it with a completely different mindset. Um, if you hear them on, on a stage, for example, get some, a stage that is challenging and they miss a couple, they're not usually beating themselves up over the one or two shots that they missed. They're thinking about their successes. So, oh man, I made a great wind call on that shot or I had a good trigger press on that one. Hey, when you go shoot this, you might want to use this position on the barricade because it worked well for me, that that kind of stuff, where the guys that aren't doing so well focus on the negative. So they're talking about how they blew that shot, their trigger press sucked, or they don't know why they missed, but they focus on that, and then they take that attitude into the next stage and screw something else up, and then go to the next stage with now two things that they can't get out of their little loop in their head. So they're still replaying that, making it much more likely that they're going to repeat all those negative behaviors rather than the positive. I started just paying attention and I was horribly guilty of focusing on those one or two bad shots rather than thinking about the good ones. My friend Marcus, uh, Marcus Blanchard, at the beginning of the year, well, actually I think the finale last year, we talked about how we wanted to do well this season. Both of us did. and. He said, you know, I really want to win a match. And I said, I do too. That'd be awesome. We should totally just, we should push each other to try to do that. So we both sort of egged each other on and helped each other mindset wise. So, well, what did you do good at that match? What did you do good at that match? We caught each other saying something negative, stop and say, no, 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 no. But what did you do good? I think that helped. And we actually won our matches two weeks apart. So then we're like, man, it's April. What are you going to do for the rest of the season? Or we're going to have to go with another goal. Melissa Gilliland and I have been friends for a while since pretty much, I think, since she started really getting into the sport. And she and I started trading notes about Lanny Basham. And I'd heard of him before and had bought with winning in mind a long time ago and kind of looked at it, but didn't really read it. And then my friend Lindy Sisk had given me a few other books to read that also had to do with mental mindset. And I knew from doing other things that Almost everything that you do is 90 to 95% mental. So sports are no different. So I finally picked up with Winning in Mind and, and read it. I read the book and then I read it again and then I read it again and I started writing and doing the exercises that he says to do in the book. And that's it. That's really all I did.
Yep, coming up with an action statement, writing out goals, and not a goal as in a wish, but like a, a goal with an end in mind. Figuring out what I wanted to do, how I needed, what I needed to do to get there, and then how to get there. So I credit a lot of that with the second place at the brawl in February, and with winning the match at NorCal. You have like downtime or something. You start thinking about the things that you suck at. So nobody likes to practice those. We all like the feel good pat on the back, practice stuff that you're great at. For me, that just solidifies how much is between your ears. So if I can sit there and think about, okay, well on this one type of barricade, I have a hard time setting up quickly. So let's think of ways to do that where it's quick, where I know exactly where I'm gonna place whatever size bag I'm going to use and I know which way I need to approach the obstacle. Do I use a sling? Do I not use a sling? Which way feels better? Um, what am I seeing through the scope? Am I going to dial? Am I going to hold over? Um, thinking through all those things and kind of visualizing them before I do them helps when I actually go to the range and have a chance to practice it. There's a lot that people miss on that mental side and really thinking through what they're doing prior, then, prior to doing it. If you go into something blind something you didn't prepare for. Now, if I know I'm going to a field match, then I know I need to start thinking about what am I going to look for for wind calls? Am I looking at brush? Am I looking at trees? Am I going to be able to see mirage? What if it's overcast? So what ifing stuff to come up with a game plan ahead of time? I think people miss that on that, miss out on that and just go into it going, oh, oh, look at that. Look at that prop. I'm not prepared. There have been plenty of times, so even recently, that I'm like, oh crap, what am I supposed to do next? That's my tove. And I'm thinking that instead, and then trying not to show panic. Um, but but there have been a few that it just felt really smooth. Um, like I knew exactly what I was going to do, how I was going to do it. Everything felt right. I didn't run out of time. Um, half the time lately, I'm kind of surprised when I hit stuff because I'm thinking, what if I'm going to... No, 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 don't think what if, don't think what if you miss, think what if you hit, and then I'll hit it. I'm like, oh, oh, did you guys see that? that I mean, that, that was an awesome win call. And then I have to stop congratulating myself and keep shooting. <laughs> Especially if I'm on deck, then it's, you know, that can wait. The socializing part can wait. And I've told people as an RO, hey, man, they're next up. Give them a break. Quit asking them questions. Let them focus. Um, I, I think you put yourself at a big disadvantage if you've, I mean, it's still a competition. It's great that it's a social event, <laughs> as it should be. And people should be talking and comparing notes and say, what did you use for wind on that? But talk after um, and not when not don't talk to somebody when they're on deck or in the hole. Give them a chance to get their dope written down, get their mags loaded, whatever. And then ask them questions when they're done shooting. With the sport gaining so much interest, uh, people have been reaching out a lot more and we get these guys that show up to the club matches who maybe aren't as prepared as they, they could be for a competition. Nope, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm in over my head. Help me. Um, so I've been trying to do that a little bit. And there's just nothing like seeing somebody who has never shot past, say, two or 300 yards hit something at 800 and then at 900 and then a thousand and then 1300 yards their smile just gets bigger and bigger and they start looking like the cheshire cat so i, I live for that I, I love that so much seeing people be so happy about making the right wind call and um having the right trigger press working on their their getting their fundamentals down prior to because that's the big area that i see people 
have issues with like, well, I know why you're not hitting anything. You can't see where you're impacting at because you're sideways to your gun. Um, all the things that people took time to teach me. So it's kind of feels like my way of giving back. Thanks for listening to the Trigonometry Podcast. Please make sure you visit our site at precisionshooter.info where you'll find show notes, additional links, and a pile of extra information, including competitions and updates on events near you. While you're there, pop over to our Facebook and Instagram pages, where you'll see regular updates on the goings-on in the precision shooting community in New Zealand. The way that this show grows is through people like you, so please, share on Facebook, and if you know someone who's into shooting and may be interested in checking this out, Flick them over a link. And if you're listening to this through a podcast aggregator or some form of app, make sure you leave us a review. It really makes a difference. Thanks again to the Gear Locker and all our additional supporters. And most importantly, thank you, the listener. Without you guys, none of this could happen. Talk soon, but for now, go have a shoot.